Amen. Thank you, worship team. Pleasure to worship with all of you this morning. Just to sense the spirit in the room as we just cry out together, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. It's just like joining the scene from Revelation. That throne room scene where they're crying, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. So I pray that his presence, no matter where you're at today, will just bring comfort and peace to you. So before we uh, dive into the message, let's just pause for a moment of prayer. Oh Lord, we worship you. You alone are worthy of our praise. And so Lord, I thank you that even in our brokenness, even in our struggle, even in our doubt, that we do not come before you condemned, but we come before you, the Holy One, knowing that you welcome us, that you draw us into your presence, that you long and love to forgive us and restore us and lift us up. And so, Lord, I just pray over this congregation today. And, Lord, I just, just sense uh, your love and your compassion for your people today in such a powerful way. Lord, I pray that if anyone here today is just feeling so unworthy, that they screwed up so much this week that there's no way you could still love them, I pray that that lie will be broken in the name of Jesus. And I pray that the truth of the love of God will penetrate every one of your hearts, that you will receive the forgiveness of the Lord, that you will receive his beautiful, loving presence, that you will receive the peace and the joy that he wants to fill you with. So Lord, I just pray your compassion over each person here. Oh Lord, for those maybe struggling with just some deep things with illness or a family member or just struggling with something they can't even feel they can share with anyone, Lord, I pray that you will take that burden out. Place that burden upon yourself. And Lord, I pray again for the power of your presence to just be near. So Lord, lift up your people today. Oh Lord, we are so desperate for you. So desperate for you. But thank you for loving us and lifting us up. And will you do that to each person here today? And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sometimes it's hard for me to go from a worship time into gearing back up to preach, but here we go. So thank you, Chantel. It's always good to feel like you have a little bit of a little bit of a touch of glory when you worship together with God's people. Well, last week um, I started us off um, on a little journey on the topic of spiritual gifts, and decided that it needed to be three weeks, or I'd try to cover it all in one week, which wouldn't be good for all of you or for me. So. This is going to be week two, but um, just, just a, a quick reminder that, that last week we talked about this series we're continuing on healthy church and the role of spiritual gifts in a healthy church. And I wanted to set a foundation last week, and I talked about, and we, we talked from Romans and the teaching on spiritual gifts there, and just the idea that the foundation of gifts is in humility and that the function of the gifts is when we all understand that we're a unique body part. And we talked about that metaphor that's used in scripture of the body of Christ or the church being like a body and that we are all a body part and we all need to function in our body part for the church to be healthy. So that's the foundation. 
And so now today, we want to go a little bit deeper into some of the other texts of spiritual gifts. Now, just before we go there, opening question for you. How does your family deal with fair? <laughs> How, when, you, when you remember growing up in your family, did you think that your parents were fair? When you think of all of your siblings and what they got and what you didn't get or what you thought you should have got, did you think your parents were fair? How many of you as parents, young or old, struggle all the time with, how did we do with fair? Now, recently, I overheard a conversation, and it was interesting because in this conversation, it was a young adult woman who was complaining about the fact that um, her siblings get so much more from the parents than her. And she was just really incensed about this. And yet I found it really interesting what the other person responded to. This person's angst about her parents not being fair with her and favoring, favoring the other kids in the family. And this was the, this was the response. Does fair always mean equal? Does fair always mean equal? And as the discussion went on, I kind of smiled to myself because I thought, you know, as, as parents give gifts to their kids, do they does everything just have to be equal to be fair, or are parents allowed to discern that different kids have different needs, and so they give their gifts out of the generosity of being the parents more because they want to give towards the needs, and that equal isn't necessarily the answer, but loving your kids to the point that you want to give them what's best and, and, and on a needs-based. So I did a lot of thinking about that. And you can, I know we could have a, a long debate about that. But I bring this up because our Father God treats us as his children, which is a wonderful thing. And yet, does God just treat us all fair? At least in our definition of fair. Or does our Father God actually treat us all uniquely based on his unique love and calling for us? Well, you already see my slide, so you, you've jumped to my point. But uh, in, the, in one of the passages we're going to go today, 1 Corinthians 12, it starts by saying there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. And then later in verse 11, and he, God, distributes them to each one just as he determines. So in one way, that doesn't sound too fair, does it? Because it sounds like God's just determining, you know, I'll give Gary five gifts, but I'm only going to give Darren one. And, uh, you know, maybe Joe, I'll give two. And uh, Harold, oh, he's getting 20. And that doesn't seem fair, does it? And yet the scripture says that God gives gifts according to how he determines. So, wrestle with that a little bit as we think about how spiritual gifts work. Now, before we get into our texts today, and what we're going to do is we're going to... So last week, we looked at the spiritual gifts list in Romans, chapter 12. Today, we're going to look at the spiritual gifts list in 1 Corinthians 12. And let me warn you, those are the controversial ones. Those are the ones that we often call the sign gifts. 
So we'll go there a little bit today. And then we're also going to look at the Ephesians passage, which talks of, it's a shorter gifts list, but that is kind of the equipping gifts. So anyway, that's where we're going. Now, here's the question that I want you to think about through the whole message today and even ongoing as you discern and think about spiritual gifts. Are you ready? Here's the question. Are spiritual gifts supernatural abilities given by God or are they spirit-empowered natural talents and abilities? Got the question? Are spiritual gifts supernatural gifts given to Christians by God or are spiritual gifts abilities or natural talents or abilities empowered by the Spirit? So, I'm not going to answer the question. You're going to wrestle and we'll go to the scripture and you will need to discern what the Spirit reveals to you. So, let's first go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, I don't have all the text here, but in verse 1, it starts out by saying, Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, I do not want you to be uninformed. So here, Paul, the author, writing this letter, is writing to this church and saying, okay, spiritual gifts are important. I don't want you to be uninformed. So here comes the teaching. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. And now verse 7, which you'll see on the screen. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. All right, so this list in 1 Corinthians is, is, as I said earlier, is often called the list of sign gifts. And they're called that because these are, these are the kinds of spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit that would be deemed the most miraculous or the most supernatural in nature. These would be the, 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 this would be the list of gifts that would be the least connected to our natural skills and abilities and the most supernatural things empowered by the Holy Spirit. Often these are the gifts that seem to show up very randomly, very erratically. Um, they seem to show up at certain points in history in, in more pronounced way than others. And there's so many different ways that these gifts have been interpreted and understood and misunderstood and used and abused that there's just been a lot of controversy surrounding them. And I'm, I'm sure... A lot of you can relate to that as you maybe think about your journey with spiritual gifts in the church. Now, in verse 7, at the top there, you see that it says, Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. So how do you like that word, manifestation of the Spirit? Now, I don't know about you, but if you've heard that word before or wrestled with that word before, maybe you had a similar journey to me. 
In my younger years, when I was just beginning to learn about spiritual gifts and experiencing different churches that that practiced and did spiritual gifts quite differently than the conservative church I grew up in, they would often use that word manifestations. And it always sounded so, ooh, in that church they have manifestations. Let's go check it out and see what kind of manifestations could happen. And so I think we've, we've kind of, and maybe not all of you, I did, but we sometimes have mystified that word into, into being like, something more than it means. But really, manifestations simply means demonstration, evidence of, anointing or outpouring. So it's kind of like the evidence of the spirit, the demonstration of the spirit in the body for the common good. So don't get too hung up on the word manifestation. It really means the evidence of the spirit. Now, when you look at this gift list, these manifestations of the spirit, you can go to the, go to the next slide now. Um, there, there they are listed from the, from the text we were just reading. Here, here's another question for you today. Are these gifts given for life? So you, you're a Christian, God imparts gifts on you, and you get one or a few of these gifts, boom, you have it for life. Or are these gifts given randomly and at special times or special occasions when followers of Jesus need a specific anointing or empowering or a gifting for a very specific task that God is calling them to? Hmm. Not sure I can answer that question, to be honest with you. Experience tells me that it's more the second, but just wanted to, to throw that out for you to think. Now, for example... Um, this, this maybe will be a simple example in your life. You might remember a time in your life when you were either asked to share or do something and you were just petrified and felt like, I can't do this. I am like, this is a way, like I'm treading water here. I can't do this. And so what do you do? You pray like crazy. God, help. I got to get up and share my testimony or someone's asked me to do this thing that really terrifies me. But you pray like crazy and in the moment, you're shocked because something comes over you and you are actually empowered to do the thing or say the thing and you go, wow, what was that? That didn't feel like me. Now that may be a small example of how the Holy Spirit anoints us or comes upon us or may give us a gift in a moment because he needs to use us in that moment. Now, there, there's so many ways to go with these gifts, but I could illustrate that. Like, say, for example, you see wisdom and knowledge. Now, some churches will call it, oh, that person has a word of knowledge for you, or that person has a word of wisdom for you. Now, we may just think, oh, well, that's just someone who's a wise person giving you a word. Others would understand it, though, more as, no, the Spirit reveals a word and gives you a specific knowledge for a certain thing or event or time to speak out to the church or to speak out to a person. So maybe you've experienced that in different ways. But that could be an example of where, say, you know, you may be in a situation where you're praying and praying, and maybe in that moment the Spirit anoints you with a word, with a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom to be able to bless the church or even to be able to speak into your own situation or to someone you love. And, and that could happen in so many of these. You know, like for example, what do you do with miraculous powers? Do any of you know someone who always seems to have that gift and it's like every other day 
Like, that's a tough one, right? Because that seems very controversial. But I, I wonder if, again, most of these sign gifts are designed to be special anointings for special times and special moments when the Spirit's moving, that he could use, in a sense, almost anyone who's open to what the Spirit's doing for the Spirit to work through. Um, you know, the one, the one on the list that, that might be the, the most controversial, especially in, in Mennonite or conservative churches like ours, would be tongues, right? Now, if we go back to the book of Acts, and, and some of your Bibles won't even use the word tongues, it'll just say languages, because a lot of scholars want to emphasize the fact that people are gifted to speak another language, Whereas if you've been around people who speak in tongues, there's kind of two ways that tongues often happen, right? Sometimes tongues is a specific language that then can be interpreted and it's a word for someone. Whereas other times, tongues is what some people call a prayer language, where it's basically in their own personal private prayer, they will begin to pray and speak in another language that, that they might not even know what it is, but, in, but what their experience is is that the Spirit is praying through them, and they, and they call that a prayer language. So again, you could look at that gift too as maybe someone has it for life if tongues is a part of their prayer language, but then maybe it's just a special time or an anointing. Maybe I've heard stories of people on missions trips where, where they were given this gift and were able to share the gospel with someone in another language, or a time when someone was given a, a word in another language and they speak it out and then someone interprets it because they know that language and goes, do you know what you just said? You said this. And it was just a really powerful word that impacted someone's life. So I've seen those kinds of things happen. Now, have I also seen many of these sign gifts be used to abuse people and manipulate and be overdone to the point where damage happens in people's lives and churches? Yeah, I've seen that too. So, with all of that to say, how do we walk with these, what we call sign gifts? Now, one teaching that's, that's been around for a long time, but continues to be popular in a lot of um, conservative evangelical circles, is something called cessationism. And if you've never heard that term before, basically, a cessationist is someone who believes that these types of sign gifts all ceased with the apostles. So cessationism basically teaches that these kinds of sign gifts were needed before we had the canon of scripture. But now that we have the canon in scripture, and now that the apostles have passed away, we don't need those gifts anymore. They have ceased. We now have the scriptures, and that's how we do Christianity. So that would be a cessationist view. Now, just so you know, as, a, as the Mennonite Brethren Conference that we're a part of, the Mennonite Brethren um, uh, theology would not to be sensationist, which would mean that we believe that these gifts are still viable gifts in the church today. So I don't know if that's, if that's news or, that, or maybe you're more surprised if you've never heard of cessationism before, but that, that's a, a fairly healthy debate. And again, I can see the point of the cessationists because when you look at, at a lot of these gifts, a lot of us can be skeptical and really be doubters and go, I don't see these happening very often, so either A, we must be the problem that we haven't got enough faith, or B, maybe we're not even really supposed to be using them. So I don't know what, what answer seems easier to you, but maybe you can understand why this gets complicated and controversial. But anyway, I, we, look, 
keep my eye on the clock here because we're still on the sign gifts. Now, what I would like to encourage you to do as you um, discern all this is to really look closely at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. There are three chapters right in the middle of this letter called 1 Corinthians where Paul does some extensive teaching on spiritual gifts. Now, I kind of call these three chapters the spiritual gifts sandwich. But I kind of thought that since it's like the May long and we're already into barbecue season, well, let's call it the spiritual gifts burger because this is how I envision it. There's chapter 12 is kind of like the top bun and chapter 14 is the bottom bun and chapter 13 is, is the meat in the middle. You see, chapter 12 is, all, is a whole bunch of teaching on the spiritual gifts like the passage we just read. Chapter 14 is all about how we use those gifts in the church and guess what chapter 13 is about? Come on, some of you know. Yes, chapter 13 is the famous love chapter. And, and what we often forget is, is that like so often chapter 13 is kind of just plucked out. It's kind of like there's the burger, let's just pull out the patty, who needs the bun anyway? And then we hold out that burger and we go, you know, at weddings or in the church and we talk about love and love is patient and love, and beautiful. The love chapter is a beautiful, beautiful passage. But what we need to remember is that it is the burger meat and the burger of understanding spiritual gifts. So, so let me explain that just a little bit more. So, so, in, so in chapter 12, we just read, gives this gifts list, right? And Paul starts out by saying, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm going to teach you on spiritual gifts now so you, so you use them well in the church. It's interesting, though, that at the very last verse... 12 verse 31, he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. So at the very end, eagerly desire the greater gifts. So of course, what's our question? What are the greater gifts? But he doesn't answer that yet. Because then it's chapter 13. And all of a sudden he changes his language to say, now I'm going to show you the greater way. And then it's into love is patient, love is kind. But again, that chapter 13, or what we call the love chapter, basically what Paul is using that for us to say is that gifts without love are actually useless and harmful. That's his main point of 1 Corinthians 13. Gifts without love are useless and harmful. So he's saying, get this, church. It doesn't matter if you have the most powerfully gifted people in your church that are doing the miraculous powers and the prophesying and all that kind of crazy stuff. If they're doing all that and you're all wowed out about how powerful and amazing your church is, and yet you have not love, you're just a ganging... What? I can't even say that now. You're just a gong. A clanging gong. You're, you're useless and it's even harmful. And he wants to make that point very strongly. Okay, so then in chapter 14, the bottom part of the bottom part of the gifts burger is chapter 14 is all about how do you practically do this in the church? How do you avoid extremes? How do you keep things happening decently and in order even while you allow spiritual gifts to happen among you? And so Paul gives them some very, very um, practical teaching on how to avoid the extremes and be respectful in worship. Now, at the beginning of chapter 14, remember that chapter 12 ended with eagerly desire the greater gifts, then chapter 13, but I'm going to show you the better way, i.e. love, but then back to chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and 
eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Now, he's going to say it again, this this idea of eagerly desire. Some of your translations might say earnestly desire. But I've thought a lot about this. Like three times here in this teaching on spiritual gifts, Paul is saying eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So what does that mean? I remember years ago, a good friend of mine, us having quite an argument about this. I was at a stage in my life where I was just like pumped to get into spiritual gifts and discover all of this power stuff. I grew up in traditional church that just seemed so dead and powerless and I want to see the miraculous and I want to see these spiritual gifts be manifest in church and this is going to be exciting. That was kind of the journey I'm on. So I'm with my friend and I'm just like going on about this and I'm going, see, Paul said it three times. We're supposed to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And he's just like, whoa, (laughs) Don, like, he's like for him, eagerly desire just sounded so presumptuous, kind of the opposite of you need to allow the spirit to gift you. It's not about you trying to make gifts happen. It's about the spirit doing it through you. That's some really good correction. I just always remember that. Remember that. But Paul does say it. In fact, at the end of chapter 14, verse 39 and 40, he says, therefore, and again, after all of this teaching on how the church needs to do this gifts thing with decency and orderliness within the church, but he sums it up by saying, therefore, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but do everything in a fitting and orderly way. So even though Paul is putting, was waving the caution flag, he's not saying, therefore, don't practice these gifts, even the ones that seem crazy at times like prophecy in tongues. No, allow those, but make sure things are done in order. And if you dive into chapter 14 more, he'll give illustrations of how You know, like if people are just randomly speaking in tongues and new people come in and they'll just go, you guys are crazy, like what's going on here? And you know, like the gifts of the spirit are not supposed to be a frenzy of people feeding themselves spiritually. The gifts of the spirit are supposed to be used to build up the body. And so his point when he talks about the greater gifts, and he he says this again several times in chapter 14, the greater gifts he begins to unpack as are the ones that benefit the body, the ones that build up the body, the ones that bless others. So the gifts to aspire aren't the ones that just make me feel good, but the gifts to aspire to are the ones that minister to others. And so that's why he's saying especially prophecy. And we'll talk about prophecy a little bit later, but prophecy primarily is Holy Spirit-infused encouragement. And the reason that prophecy is such an amazing gift is that it speaks deep encouragement from the heart of God into the heart of an individual. And it builds up the body in incredible ways. That's why it's such a beautiful gift. So that's part of where Paul is going. So again, I invite you to go back to those chapters and to inspect that spiritual gifts burger and start to discern those gifts, and what place they have in the body. Are they gone? And if they're not, then why aren't we seeing them more prevalent in our lives and in our congregations? Are we open to the spirit moving, even in ways that might make us uncomfortable? See, Paul isn't saying, be careful of the spiritual gifts because it might make people uncomfortable. Oh no, he doesn't really care much about our comfort. He does care about truth and about witness 
and witnessed outsiders. Those things matter lots. But let's not just make it about us and our comfort level. Let's make it about really seeking Jesus, really seeking the Spirit, and really being open to the way he may be gifting you, even if it's a gift that might be beyond what you might even be unsure about how it should be practiced. I'm just saying, study, discern, but be open to how the Spirit is speaking to you. All right, so... We will leave the sign gifts for now and in our last few minutes here we'll go to Ephesians. It's much shorter and we'll, we'll talk about now what are called the equipping gifts. Now you'll see in Ephesians chapter 4 and just verses 11 and 12 say, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors or shepherds and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Now, an acronym that I've come across that I like to use, as you see there, is the APEST, A-P-E-S-T. And basically, it takes these five gifts. Some, in some circles of churches, they will call this the five-fold gifts of the Spirit. But you have apostles, prophets, evangelists. Now, I prefer the word shepherds because we too much associate the gift of pastor to a position in the church, whereas this is talking about a spiritual gift of pastoring or shepherding. So I'm, that's why I'm preferring to use the word shepherds. Depending on your translation, they'll use both those words. They mean the same thing. And teachers. So the apest are the five, five gifts of the spirit. Now, the first thing to consider here are, are these denoting leadership positions in the church? Or are these more categories of gifting in the body? Now, often these get used as positions of leadership in the church. But I would suggest to you that in context and in what is being taught here, that this is actually more about categories of gifting within the body. You see, already at the writing of Ephesians, you already have um, bishops, deacons, elders, and pastors that have those titles in the churches. Yes, you still have, when the 12 were around, were still called the apostles. And yet, you see in the New Testament that lots of other people in all the new churches that they were planting and starting, there were other apostles too. Because again, it was less about a title and more about the type of gifting you have. So as I, I'm going to just briefly go through each of these. But what I want you to do today is, again, don't think of these as titles for certain leaders or for the special super spiritual people. What I want you to think about is, what gifting area do these areas represent that you fit into? How has God created you? How has God wired you? How has God gifted you? And I would suggest that most of us are going to, to fit into one or two of these categories in terms of how we're wired and gifted. So I want you to think and pray about that, and um, let me unpack it just a little bit. So apostle. So apostle literally means sent one. And of course, the original apostles were the 12 disciples of Jesus. However, as I already said, by the end of the New Testament, we already have lots of apostles. So apostle went from a title to a, for a few to a spiritual gifting within the church, within the body. So what would, a, what would an apostle gifting look like? Well, apostles, the apostle, apostles are visionary leaders. Apostles are starters, 
pioneers of new things. They're dreamers. Now, if you're, if you're the kind of person that what really gets you going is when you can dream and plan and envision starting something new. When you think of the Christian faith or when you think of the church, you get, you get jacked up about, oh, we could start this new thing that could reach more people. Um, and, and, or you, you're, you're constantly dreaming and envisioning and you want to be the pioneer and the starter of something new. The, people with the gift of apostle, the worst thing ever would be to have to maintain something. It's like, I want to start a new ministry and then pass it on to someone and then I'm going to go start another new ministry and then I'm going to get another new idea and we're going to go start it over here. And then that, that's an apostle gifting. They're visionaries and they're starters and they're pioneers. Often a lot of church planters are people that have the gift of apostle because that's what they're about. Ask them to maintain something. They're going, oh, please, not me. But that's kind of the gift of the apostle. That's you. So again, and not just in the church, but also in your work world, in your business, if you're the dreamer, if you're the one envisioning new ideas, and um, this might be your gifting. I know, some of you are going, well, I can't call myself an apostle, that would be really weird. Perhaps, but that would be the type of gifting you have. Okay, keep going faster. Prophets. Now, where we have to be careful is there's a very different way that prophets are in the Old Testament versus the New in the Old Testament, prophets are, are primarily foretellers. Prophets are declaring God's word primarily about the future. And so we often get kind of scared of prophets or prophecy because it kind of seems like people who are predicting the future and that just seems like a little bit on the sketchy side. However, in the New Testament, primarily prophets are not foretellers, but they're forthtellers. Prophets are primarily people who are speaking boldly the word of God. Now, it's, diff- it's a little bit different than preaching and teaching. It's more in the, it's more in the sense of um, through scripture and hearing the spirit speak into your heart and soul that you are just, in a sense, given this deep inspiration of needing to and wanting to share that word. Primarily, though, to bless and encourage and build up the church. And it's been both through my study and personal experience that I would say that primarily the gift of prophecy is Holy Spirit-infused encouragement. But not just trite encouragement, but the kind of encouragement that is, hey, I've been praying for you. And as I'm praying for you, this verse just keeps coming up in my heart and mind, and I just feel like I need to speak it over you. Or... I've been praying for you or I've been thinking about you and when we were worshiping, I just saw this picture of you or I I felt this word for you and I just want to come and share it with you to encourage you. It's that kind of encouragement that's Holy Spirit focused, not just, oh, you look nice today. Oh, that's a nice shirt. No, I'm talking about spiritual encouragement that builds up someone. Um, Prophets are often discerners. They discern into situations. In fact, sometimes prophets can kind of be the people who are kind of like the holy discontent people. Sometimes they wrongly get seen as a little bit negative because they're often discerning things and are concerned about things that are kind of speaking into where they see things being problematic. So just to encourage you, if, you're, if you say, yeah, that's kind of me, and sometimes I feel like, oh, everyone thinks I'm just so negative, when really I care deeply about the church and people, I just get these overwhelming 
senses within me that we need to speak into that or we need to address something, that, that may be indicative that you have this, you're wired this way, that you may have this gift of prophecy. So, and, and again, that's just one part of it. The bigger part of it would be that Holy Spirit-infused encouragement. But again, is that how God has wired you? Is that your part in the body? Okay, got to speed up now. Okay, evangelists. Evangelists are people that have passion and special ability to share the gospel with boldness and effectiveness. We're all called to share the gospel, but those who have the gift of evangelism just have a special ability that's, that's given to them either by wiring, by personality, and by the gift and the fruit of the Spirit in their life. So people who, people who have the evangelist gift, or at least the people I know, they, they're the kind of people who, you know, like they, they're constantly thinking about and are grieved about lost people. You know, like a good friend of mine, um, he was a church planter, when, when we would go for a walk in a neighborhood, he would always be thinking about, I'm thinking about, ooh, that's a really cool thing they did in their yard there. And ooh, I, ooh, I like their flowers. And, you know, and he's like thinking about, ooh, there are so many lost people in this neighborhood. How could we effectively reach them for Jesus? Just always wired that way and, and just was just really respected that in this friend of mine. Another, another thing that might connect you to this gift of evangelism is I often feel that there's, I, I call them the connector people. And to me, the connector people are the ones that, they're often your greeters. They're the people who are really good at greeting people, welcoming people. Um, they, they just have that. But they also like to connect. And they're kind of like, they're constantly thinking of, oh, this new person, they would really connect with this person or they might really connect in this ministry or in that small group or we should invite them to be a part of this. They just love to do that kind of connecting because they want to, yeah, just connect people in the church or connect people to faith. So if some of those things describe you, you may have the gift of evangelism. That may be the way, the way God has wired you. Now shepherds, which I said I used intentionally rather than pastors because it's not a title, but shepherds are those who they're wired to care about people, to see people cared for. When they think of the church, their number one thing they're thinking about is, are people's needs being met? Are people being discipled? Are hurting people really being cared for? And that's where their heart goes. And um, Yeah, so I could say more about that, but for the sake of time, I think you get the idea. Now, teachers, and again, we've got to be really careful that we don't apply this to a role in the church or a profession or a vocation. But the spiritual gift of teaching is more about people who have a desire for clarity and relevance, but they have the special ability to understand and then clearly explain their passion to see people um, for clarity and relevance, both in scripture, but also in other things that they would teach within the body. And it's that special ability to do that. In fact, the gift of teaching needs to be people that can actually understand how people don't get it. You know, have you ever had one of those teachers that are, they, they are just so smart that they actually don't get how you don't understand? Yeah, I know, I've had some of those too. And, and they're brilliant. But part of the gift of teaching is not just having all this knowledge that you know and understand, but you actually can relate to and understand how people don't understand, and your joy as a teacher is to take someone from not understanding or not having clarity, and then when they have the light bulb turn on moment, that's when, if you have this gift, you just sit back and smile and go, thank you, Jesus, yeah, they get it, light bulb on, whoop. So if you're wired in any way that way, maybe 
maybe that's the gift of teaching. And again, it may not be that you stand up in front of a whole group of people or a class even. It may be that your teaching gift is, is used more one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. But that, that may be you. So, lots of material today, which is why next week on Pentecost Sunday, we're going to get into the other passages where we're going to get into a little bit more of the practical steps as to how you can discover or take further steps in discerning your spiritual gifts. So we're, we're going to kind of go there next week, but today is kind of more of the, the, more of the teaching and more of the discerning. What are all these gifts and where do I fit? So I really want to encourage you with this apest you see in front of you. Again, don't see it as titles or positions, but how has God wired you? How has God created you uniquely in your personality, in the natural abilities he's given you, as well as some of the supernatural abilities he may have given you that maybe you don't even realize? But as those things all come together, you might find that you relate to one of these areas. And I just encourage you to discern that more, pray about that more, but let this encourage you. Because again, I want to come back to this metaphor of us being a body. If we're going to be a healthy church, we need all the body parts functioning. So it's not good enough for us to just go, well, I'm not really sure what my part in the body is, so I'll just kind of sit this one out. You see, if you do that, then part of the body isn't functioning. When every body part functions the way you are wired, the way you are gifted, the way God wants to use you. And again, is it fair? <laughs> in fact, sometimes with fairness, I didn't say this at the beginning, but you know, I would, I would rather be the person with one gift than the one with ten. Because I think we're going to be held accountable for the use of our gifts. And if we have many gifts, we have a lot to be accountable for. There's some really good parables that Jesus teaches on that that you might hear this summer. But if you have one, you can focus on that one and, and just get really good at that one. You know, so be careful what you wish for. But again, all of us are a body part. And so discovering and then operating or working in our gifting is not just a nice thing to do. It's essential for the body to be healthy. No body part can sit out because it affects everyone. When every body part is functioning together, we become a whole. And then the body functions the way it's supposed to. So again, I'm encouraging you on this. I hope not just to talk about spiritual gifts and talk about the controversial side of it. Really, at the end of the day, who cares about that? Ultimately, us discovering in Christ, how he's wired us, how he's gifted us, and then functioning as that body part. That's the goal. So I want to I leave you with this, this quote that kind of put it together for me from an from a NIV commentator. He said, each person is a gift to the church. We would do well to have less concern about identifying gifts and more concern about being a gift. That is, about how the spirit functions through us to strengthen the body. Do I want to encourage each and every one of you to discover and flow in and walk in your gifting? Absolutely, I do. But I also don't want to overemphasize it to a, a point of stress or worry or whatever. Because ultimately, we are all a gift. And if we can live out of the gift of who we are in Christ and then live 
out of the gift of that functioning body part that we're all called to be. So I'm going to close in prayer and I'll ask the worship team to come for our response song. Hmm. So Lord Jesus, your word says that uh, you determine the gifts and that you give them as you determine. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would move through this room and speak to every heart and to every mind. And I pray that you would begin to reveal, Holy Spirit, to each person here, their unique gift or gifts in the body. Lord, I pray for those who feel pretty confident that they know. I just pray that you will give them an assurance. And I pray that you will give them a renewed boldness to step out in the giftings they know they have. And Lord, I pray for those that are maybe still a little bit confused or searching or wondering. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will use your word and other resources they may find, Lord, that you will lead them to discovering what their gifts are and how they can use them in the body. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, open up hearts, open up minds. Lord, I pray that discernment would just be poured out over each one here. Oh, Lord, I pray for Bridgeway Community Church. Lord, this is a beautiful body. There are so many gifts here. There is so much potential here. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will strengthen every part of this body. Lord, I pray if anyone here feels like they're an unnecessary part of the body, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them and convict them that they are an essential part of the body, that they and their gift is needed among us. Oh, Holy Spirit, reveal that, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up Bridgeway to be a healthy, functioning, powerful body of Christ here in this Swift Current area. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.